Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to episode two of the Radiant Church Podcast. We have these extra episodes sprinkling in between Sunday morning messages, so make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you can catch every episode like this one when it releases. Uh, right now, we're, we're in the middle of Christmas, right? How many of you guys are ready for Christmas? In fact, you've probably been ready for a while because 2020 has been that kind of crazy, right? Uh, at Radiant Church right now on Sunday mornings, I don't know if you're watching or listening online to the messages or not. If you are, uh, man, awesome. You know where, where, where we're at, kind of where we're going. If not, I want to encourage you, RadiantChurchSC.com. You can watch our messages there, or you can go to YouTube and or our Facebook page. You can also su- subscribe to this podcast because the audio form of the messages will be released every Sunday morning as well. But we're in a series of talks called Christmas Cards, and they're, we're, we're focusing on the Christmas story and unpacking the Christmas story. So we touched on Mary in the first week. Joseph is in week number two. We just wrapped that up. Or no, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're wrapping that up this coming week. Um, and then the third week is the Sunday before Christmas. That's going to be focused on the shepherds. And so I'd encourage you, subscribe to our podcast. You can catch those messages that way. Um, I love the Christmas story. I'm sure you do as well. It's a pretty familiar story in that most of us have heard it in some form or another, right? Whether it's from church or the Bible, a TV special, a movie, play, songs, books, all those types of things. In fact, I was reading one of my kids uh, a book the other day about the Christmas story. It kind of paraphrased it a little bit and uh, it sort of was the inspiration for this podcast episode in a way uh, because there were some things that weren't quite right. So I had to change the story a little bit to make this uh, make sense. So we, we typically know the story um, like this, right? This is the typical Christmas story that most of us are familiar with. That the angel Gabriel is going to visit Mary. He says, hey, you're going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sins. All that great stuff. Joseph doesn't want to break off the engagement to Mary because he's an honorable guy, and so he stays married, uh, or he or he stays engaged to her, and they get married later. Uh, Caesar Augustus orders everyone to return to their birthplace to take a census. So that means for Joseph, I got to go back to Bethlehem, right? Uh, Mary gets put on a donkey. The two of them travel, and they and they arrive at night, and all the inns are full. Who would have thought, right? And so there is this uh, innkeeper who, out of the goodness of his heart, because he's such a great guy, he opens up his stable for them to have sweet little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, <laughs> all right? The shepherds hear about this from a bunch of angels, and they arrive at the scene just as these three wise men come prancing along with their camels. They've been following a really big, huge, bright star, and the most picturesque scene you could think of unfolds. Everybody looks on little Jesus with amazement. The cattle are happy. The sheep are peering in. The shepherds are all on one side of the, of, the, of the stable. The wise men are on the other side of the stable. And you get this wonderful, incredible picture of the nativity. And that's, that's the story, right? That's the story. Except that's, that's not how the story plays out. That's not the story at all. Uh, so what if I told you that there weren't three wise men, that there was no innkeeper, that Mary may have actually walked, you know, she may have walked the entire way to Bethlehem. I, I hope not, but she, she could have. She, it's possible and likely that, you know, she may have. 
Uh, and Jesus was close to the age of two. He wasn't a little baby. He was close to two years old when the Magi visited him. So I'm going to put this disclaimer out before I go any further, okay? Because uh, in case I offend some of you guys that are super into Christmas out there. Um, if you love the romantic story of the nativity and you love that little picturesque thing I kind of read to you a second ago, you might want to stop listening. I, just me, but if I were you, I would stop listening, go watch a Christmas movie, bake cookies, go hang out with your family, do whatever. Don't listen any further, okay? Come back. We, we, we're going to launch a fresh midweek episode in January. Come back then because I don't want to be the guy who destroys your Christmas. However, if you want to learn something new today and you want to get a more realistic look and view of how the Christmas story actually played out, well, hey, this is your day. Keep listening because we're going to sort legend from truth here. That's what I want to do today. Not because I want to destroy Christmas. <laughs> I don't want to do that at all. It's because I want you to know the truth. I want you to get a, a good idea of how it actually happened and how it probably went down based on scripture, but also based on the historical narratives and texts that we have at the time. Okay, so uh, if you love learning, man, you love history, you love reality, this is going to be good uh, for you to listen to. So let's start with Mary, right? We'll start with her. Mary is a teenage girl, 14 to 16 years old at the time when when, when Gabriel visits her, okay? Um, and, and, and I really encourage you again, go back and, and listen to the messages that we gave here at Radiant um, on Christmas cards. I think when Gabriel visits Mary, she freaks out a little bit. Now, Luke tells us in, in, in his story that she was confused and disturbed at what the angel was saying. I, I, I think she freaked a little bit. I mean, wouldn't you? You know, I mean, angels are scary looking things anyway. From what we know in scripture, they got multiple heads and eyes and wings and some are big and some have battle armor and flaming swords. And you know, the first thing an angel sends, tends to tell people is, hey, don't be afraid, right? So I'm, I'm sure she was freaked a little bit. But then the angel says, hey, um, here's what's going to happen to you. Now, she didn't get a choice in this. God found favor with you, and so his kid is coming to a womb near you, okay? Like, you're going to give birth to Jesus. That's the name you're going to give this kid. He's going to save the people from their sins. He's going to be great and mighty and holy and all that kind of great stuff. And so, you know, she, she's told what's going to happen. Now, she decides she's going to obey God uh, in all of this. But the big issue for Mary isn't just obedience. I think it's also trust, right? It's, it's trusting, okay, is God going to be with me? Because she risked a lot to keep that pregnancy going. I don't know if you know this or not, but for Mary, as she's getting all this information, what you don't read in Scripture, and, 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 and let me just stop for a moment. I think the reason you don't read this in Scripture, the, the Bible was written, um, the New Testament, in the first century, okay? And so the authors, in this case it's Luke and Matthew, that's where the Christmas story takes place in both those books. And so the authors are assuming, hey, my readers, because I'm writing in the first century context, right? Uh, Luke is writing his, I think Luke is written, writing in the 50s. Um, Matthew, I know, was in, was in, the, was in the late 50s. Um, when, when they're writing to their audience, hey, the, the audience knows what the culture norms are. The audience knows what the Jewish law and Roman law says. The audience is very well familiar with everything happening in Mary and Joseph's world. And so there's a lot that goes without saying that the authors don't include. The problem for us is we're living in the 21st century. We live in a Western culture with a Western viewpoint. 
And so we can't read between the lines. We have to actually do some digging. We have to actually go to the original sources and writing and language. We have to actually get into ancient texts um, and historians like Josephus and Tacitus and Herodotus and all these guys to get a good idea of what the world was kind of like. So we have to do a lot of extra legwork here, okay? So what we don't know unless we do that legwork is that Mary, if she follows through with this, she's going to look at a, at a really hard life ahead, okay? So Mary's looking at excommunication from, from her synagogue. She's looking at possible execution for infidelity. And the first person to throw the first stone would be Joseph in, in, in that regard, right? Um, the brattle price, you know, it wasn't a romantic engagement. It was contractual. Joseph would have met with her dad. Her dad and him would have negotiated a brattle price. And Mary may have had a say in it, but probably not. And, uh, you know, it would have all been set. Well, Joseph can recover the brattle price if he divorces her publicly, uh, but not if he does it privately. That's important. We'll, we'll come to Joseph here in a second. Um, and so Mary's family is going to lose out on, on, on the bridal price that her, her family, who probably needs that, that, that money or resources, um, they're going to lose out on that because of her, what is perceived to be infidelity. And just think about it like this too. Who's going to believe her? I mean, if, if your kid came home and said, mom, an angel spoke to me, I'm going to get pregnant and give birth to God's son. Are you going to believe your kid? Probably not. I don't know if her family believed her at all. In fact, she goes to visit Elizabeth, her cousin, for three months, and she comes back. She's got a little baby bump thing going on, and Joseph doesn't believe her. That's why Joseph had resigned to actually call this engagement and break it off. He didn't believe Mary's story. So Mary's risking a lot here. Now, she's also from the line of David. Luke gives Mary's genealogy, and, and that is from the line of David. Uh, Matthew is going to give Joseph's genealogy, also from the line of David. It's really important. So both of uh, Mary and Joseph come from David's lineage, and that is vitally important because Jesus, the Messiah, has to be from the line of David. And so that's, that's taken care of right there. And so we get to Joseph now, right? So Joseph's older. Mary's between 14 and 16. Joseph is between 20 and 50. That's a big range, I know, but it's ancient history. It's kind of how things worked back then. Joseph is, is all about obeying God. He has to make the decision to obey God. And he risked everything to keep Mary as his wife. Let me give you an idea. Now, if you're listening before we get to Joseph in our talks at uh, Radiant on Sunday, you're going to get a heads up to what we're talking about. Uh, but, but, but Joseph, you know, he understood that if I keep Mary as my wife, there's a, there's a lot of things I'm going to have to go through. Namely, uh, shame. It's a shame honor, honor paradigm they live in. So shame follows you. In the Eastern cultural context, shame follows you for generations. You can't erase it. You can't get rid of it. It's you, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, uh, your, your toast. And he would have ultimate shame for keeping Mary. Uh, then you got to throw in the Roman law. How did the Roman law view a guy like Joseph? Well, if you were a man, and it doesn't seem fair, and it's not fair because it's ancient history and it's very male-driven, right? But in Roman law, they would view Joseph if, if he refused to break the engagement with Mary and call everything off, they would view him as a pimp who is basically prostituting his wife to other people. They would, they, they would view Joseph as someone who's exploiting his wife for prostitution if he stayed with her. It's not a good thing, right? Not, not a good look. Um, shame, by the way, uh, in the Jewish community, it means you're going to lose out on jobs. It means that you might get disowned by your family. It means you could get excommunicated from the synagogue, which you might as well just live 
as a hermit if that happens, okay? Because the synagogue was the center of life and culture and community in those villages in that day and age. So it's, it, he's risking an awful lot. He also can't get the bridal price back um, if, he, if he doesn't call this off either, right? So he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm a man of honor and integrity. I love Mary. I, I think he was actually thinking this. I'm not going to divorce her publicly because I don't want shame to necessarily fall on her. I want to try to delay that as much as I can. I mean, it was going to happen eventually. You can't hide having a baby, but it could at least be, you know, been delayed, right? Um, and, and, and because too, hey, I don't want her to die. I don't want her getting stoned to death. I don't want ex- ex- execution. I don't want excommunication. I don't want them getting kicked out of the synagogue. I don't want any of that stuff to happen. So I will forfeit the bridal price. I'll give up what I worked so hard for. I'll break it off in secret and everything will be cool. And then God throws the, the, the wrench into it, right? Sends an angel to Joseph, says, no, nah, man, take Mary as your wife. Here's what's going on. And he, and he learns that she's telling the truth. It is Jesus who's going to get born. He's the son of God and that kind of thing. And so Joseph takes her as his wife. And they go to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus issues this, this decree, this census. that says, hey, you got to go to your, 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 your place of family lineage, the birthplace of your lineage, right? You got to go there, get counted. We want to know how many folks we got in the empire. Quirinius is the governor of Syria during the time. They say, why is all that important? It's important because we can back all this up with historical facts. That's, that's why it's important. It can also help us get the date of when Jesus was born. And uh, this and some other events lead us to Jesus being born between 6 and 4 you know, BC. Okay, And so they go to Bethlehem. Heading down that way. What I think is interesting is, you know, Jesus is, is, is the Messiah, right? He's the Savior. And an angel tells Mary and, and Joseph's going to find out too that Jesus is going to save the people from his sins. Now we know because we've, we're living in the 21st century. We know that he's going to die on a cross and rise again three days later. And that's how it's all going to happen. But they don't know that back then, right? Like Mary and Joseph don't know that. And so as they're going to Bethlehem, I, I don't know if the time period kind of lined up just right, but, but maybe it did. I don't know. During the time of the census, we know that while Quirinius was governor of, of the region, there was a guy named Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but a guy, the guy named Judas uh, from Galilee, where Mary and Joseph and, and them are going to be from, uh, who leads a rebellion. Uh, against the Roman government. And the reason for that is because in Jewish law, you were, not, you were not to take a census. You were not supposed to count the people that you had. If you look in the Old Testament, um, God, God forbids that in the Pentateuch. And then you have, which is the first five books of the Bible, and then you have David. David counts his people and takes a census and it angers God and he has to accept one of three different punishments for it. I mean, it just, you just don't do that kind of thing. And so uh, Judas leads this rebellion and the group that forms out of that, the political group, is called the Zealots. And Jesus is going to actually choose an apostle, Simon the Zealot, down the road that comes from that group. That rebellion's put down. His followers, though, thought that he was the Messiah. They gave him the title Messiah. They all rallied behind him. Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel speaks up uh, to the high council, the Sanhedrin, when the apostles are, are kind of being told, hey, to shut up. Stop, stop saying all this stuff about Jesus, right? And uh, Gamaliel says, hey, wait a minute, guys. There was a man named Judas, and he's, re- he's referencing this event that happened around the time that Jesus was born, who rose up, and that rebellion was put down because it was from man. If it's from man, you can stop it, but if, if, if this is all from God, you can't. Of course, we know the New Testament Acts that it was from God, and the church grew and exploded. But, but Judas here, 
man-made rebellion, man-made title to be you know the Messiah. All these followers are behind him, and it gets put down, and they're all crucified. In fact, the the road leading to Jerusalem is lined and littered with men from that rebellion who are on crosses. And I wonder if like Mary actually passed by that scene. I don't know if she did or not. I don't know if it lined up or not. But it's something that's interesting to think about. You know, if it did, I'm sure she would reflect back on that later. And she's watching her own son die on a cross. But, but, but very interesting. So that's happening during the time period, the exact same time period that all this is happening where Jesus is going to get born, the angel comes, this rebellion takes place, and, and, and that kind of thing. So they go to Bethlehem. Uh, they're both in David's line, so it makes sense to go there. We have no idea when they got there. Probably not at night. <laughs> okay, I'm going to burst that bubble. Highly unlikely. Very few people traveled at night long distances in that time period, so probably not at night. Um, she could have rode a donkey. It makes sense. She probably she could have been pretty pregnant. I don't know. But if they were poor, and a lot of scholars believe they were impoverished, uh, they probably couldn't afford a donkey. So she probably walked. She may have walked the whole way. I, I don't know. We have no way to verify that, okay? So if you want to hold on to the, you know, the donkey in your story, you can. But when they get there, the one thing I do want to definitely pop and correct, when they get to Bethlehem, uh, the story that we typically see at Christmas time is they banged in all the hotels and there was no room in the inn and all the innkeepers were mean, but there was just one nice guy who was like, bro, I got a stable out back. Why don't you come hang out with the cows? This, this, this is not what happened. When they got to Bethlehem, they probably stayed with family. And, and there's a lot of reasons for, for this. So first of all, let's just start with the word in. I'll, let me start there for a moment because you're going to say, well, wait a minute. It says in in my Bible. It does. But the Greek word for in, and you got to remember, and you may not know this. I shouldn't say remember because you may not know this. But your New Testament was written in the first century Greek language called Koinonia Greek. And the Greek word for in references the guest room as in a person's home, someone's home. Okay. And, and there's a distinct word for in as in hotel room. And you only see that word mentioned in the good Samaritan story where the Samaritan takes the, the man who was beaten and left for dead to an inn and he pays the innkeeper. Now in that context, the word in that word for in is indeed a hotel room, but the one in the story of Jesus being born is the exact same word that we get for upper room. If you look in the life of Christ, when he's uh, having the last supper with his disciples, they're in the upper room. Well, that Greek term uh, that is used for room there refers to a guest room of somebody's home. It's the exact same word used here in the Christmas story when we read there was no room in the inn. So what Luke is saying is he's saying there is no room in this person's house they're at. There's no room where a guest would normally stay in, in someone's home for this baby to be born. Why is that? Well, think about this for a moment. I want you to think about a few things. Um, everybody is coming to their ancestral place of birth to register for the census. Mary and Joseph have got a lot of family who are coming to Bethlehem because all of David's descendants are coming down there, among other folks who live in Bethlehem as well, right? To, to register. And so there's a lot of people in that house. I watched, uh, I watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation here, and I, it's, a, it's such a funny movie. 
And uh, if you've seen the movie, you know Clark Griswold's house is full of people, right? I mean, it's crazy crowd. And I thought of this story, um, of, of, the, of the Christmas story. It's like, there's no room in the inn. Yeah, because there's people everywhere, right? There's, all, there's folks all over the place probably in the house trying to stay. And so, because that's what you would do. You would stay with your family. Culturally speaking, you would always stay with relatives is what you did. It would be very offensive not to do so. So that makes a lot of sense. Financially, they couldn't afford to stay in an actual inn, like a hotel, at least for not very long because they're poor. They wouldn't be able to, to, to be able to do that. Architecturally speaking, from an architectural point of view, houses had stables attached to them. They were not separate. We're not talking about a cave or anything like that. We're talking about, you know, a, a stable that could be built below the house. Sometimes houses were built above stables, or it could have been it could have been an attachment directly beside the house. And we're not talking anything elaborate, something that just probably has like a like a thatched roof you know, or something of that nature. And so that would have been where Mary would have been taken to have the baby uh, because one, there's more privacy. You're not in the crowded house with all these people, right? But two, and this is the other thing that folks forget about, uh, there's no there's no hospital. There's no doctors or nurses or, you know, you know, uh, what, what are the, what's the term? Uh, the, the term, I'm lost in the term now. Um, but uh, midwife, that's the term I'm looking for, midwife. It just hit me all of a sudden. There's no midwives to help you out. Um, so what do you have? Well, you have family. And what would happen if you're pregnant is the women in your family would come help you out. They would come take care of you. and They would help you in the process of the child being born. Well, that's what's happening here too. And so they're, they're, they're having this baby in the stable. The women in the family are without a doubt helping her in this process. They're not alone. And Jesus is born, and they place him in a manger, okay? Now, notice I didn't mention an innkeeper. There is no innkeeper in this story. In fact, the easiest thing to refute in the Christmas story is the innkeeper because neither Matthew nor Luke mention this guy. So it is 100% pure fiction to invent the idea of an innkeeper who is nice and kind and just, you know, happens to have a stable that they can all kind of hang out in. Like that, 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 that's not even there. You can't find him anywhere. And he wouldn't be around anyway, because again, the inn is the guest room of somebody's home. Okay. Now, as all this is happening, there are shepherds who are in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's not far from Jerusalem, by the way. Um, it's just outside the city. And there are shepherds who are watching their, their sheep. Now, here's the cool thing. We know that a lot of the shepherds' flocks in Bethlehem in that area were actually sheep that were used for the sacrifice in the temple. How about that? So sacrificial rams and lambs and that kind of thing were in these flocks. Isn't it interesting? It's, 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 to me, it's amazing the connections here, right? God sends his angels to proclaim the birth of Christ first to the shepherds who are watching over these sheep who will be slaughtered as sacrifices for people's sin. They go and pay homage and worship the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world from his own sacrifice he'll have right years later on the cross. Really cool how God sets all that stuff up. But anyway, so they're in the field. They hear what's going on from the angels, and then they rush into Bethlehem. And, you know, it's not hard. You ask people, you know, hey, did you have a baby? Nope, we didn't. Did you have a baby? Yeah, we had a baby. Okay, cool. 
Where's the baby at? Well, it's in our it's in our inn, right? It's in our it's in our guest room. Uh, no, wrong baby. We're looking for a baby in a manger. Only one place has got a baby lying in a manger. It's the home where Mary and Joseph are staying. So not too hard to find Mary and Joseph. And it's also, you know, Bethlehem's a very small village. So it wouldn't have been too difficult to, to locate them. So they find Jesus and they worship him. And then they go out and tell everybody about uh, Christ. Notice, however, there's no magi. No wise men show up in this picture because they aren't here yet. They haven't arrived just yet. The Magi come later, okay? So the Magi come, and we'll talk about the timeline here in a second, and I'll show you how we can get to this. But the Magi are between, you know, are, are going to come when Jesus is probably close to two years old, between one and two for sure, okay? They come probably from Persia, maybe Babylon, which is, which is today Baghdad and Iraq, uh, but either Persia, which will be Iran today, or, or, or Babylon. And uh, the reason why we think that is because these guys, think about this for a moment. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you've heard the stories of Daniel and the lion's den and the, the fiery furnace, right, the Old Testament, uh, the, the Jewish exiles from Judah, when Judah fell, they were brought in three successive waves to Babylon, and uh, that, there's a strong Jewish presence there. Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were, were, were wise men. They were magi in Nebuchadnezzar's court and uh, Belshazzar's court. The Persians come in, and the Persians defeat the Babylonian Empire. We know that from, from a story with, with Daniel, right? The Persians and the Medes come in and do that. And Darius the Mede is actually the guy who sets up court in Babylon. Um, but then later you have Cyrus, and Cyrus chooses, you know, um, he, he's, he's very favorable to the Jews with the story of Nehemiah and Ezra. And before Cyrus, there's, there's, there's Artaxerxes, and and, and he chooses a wife, and his wife that he chooses is, is Queen Esther. And so there's Jewish influences, very prominent Jewish influences, all throughout both the Babylonian and Persian empires. Why is that important? Because that's how these guys would know Numbers 24:17, which talks about a star of Jacob will rise in Israel. They would know that messianic passage because of all the Jewish influence that was there. It would have been familiar to them. They would have heard about it. And, and these magi were guys who studied the natural sciences. They studied the stars, the medicines, and, and they noticed an unusual occurrence in the stars. The planets and the stars are aligning in the sky. And, and, and they made that link to Numbers 24, 17. And they assumed, okay, the destiny of the Jews rests with whatever person uh, that star is being raised in the sky for. Whatever, that, whatever celestial thing's happening in the stars, it's got to do with, with somebody in Israel. And, and, and again, that, that Jewish influence, without a doubt, impacts them looking for the clues in the right places for sure. And so they make this trip to pay homage to this new Jewish ruler. Now, we have no idea how many wise men there were. We say there are three in our traditional story because there's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, okay? But there could have been a hundred. There could have been two. We know there was more than one <laughs> because the term is plural, okay? So we don't know how many, but we know there were, there were definitely a few uh, that came. They stop in Jerusalem, which is kind of a logical place to go, right? It's the capital city of, of, of Israel. Uh, Herod is not the true king. I think it should be noted that the Roman Senate uh, makes Herod king. I think that's about 34, 37 BC, somewhere in there, I think. Could be a little bit earlier than that. But they make him king. And um, king really in the is, is just another 
fancy way of saying governor. He doesn't have the power of a king because the Roman Empire rules the day, okay? But he's he's overseeing that area. He's a bad dude, by the way. He murdered three sons, his wife, his in-laws, a bunch of relatives because the man did not want anybody taking power away from him. That is important because of what's going to happen here in a little bit. So he he uh, he's in Jerusalem. The Magi come in. They want to know what's up with this new Jewish ruler. Where is he at? We saw the star in the sky, okay? Uh, Herod doesn't know his Bible very well. We know that for sure because he's kind of like, what? <laughs> he, uh, he gets together his own wise men, his own advisors, and they say, oh yeah, well, there's this Old Testament text that talks about the child being born in Bethlehem. That kind of... and, so, and so he realizes, oh my gosh, somebody else is born who can take my throne. What the what, right? So Herod, he, tell, he tells the Magi where to find, you know, this Messiah, this new king. And he tells them, hey, come back to me. Tell me where he's at. I want to worship him too. Except, of course, Herod's plan is not to do that. It is to execute uh, Jesus. And why wouldn't he? He's already executed his you know, three sons and a wife and a bunch of other people, right? So when you read that all of Jerusalem, Matthew says all of Jerusalem was disturbed with King Herod. Well, they're all disturbed because they're kind of like, all right, who's he going to kill next? Like someone tell him where this kid's at. You know, everyone's freaking out because Herod, Herod's unnerved. So, the, so, so here's the thing too. Uh, the Magi leave, right? And we think they go to Bethlehem. And your English translations will say in Matthew 2, 9, and 11 that they, 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 they followed the star and the star stopped and rested over where the child was in Bethlehem. However, remember what I said earlier, that your original language for the New Testament is first century Greek, right? And in the original language, Bethlehem is not mentioned in verses 9 through 11. Unfortunately, that is an editor's uh, note. And, 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 and there's all kinds of reasons that I won't get into today as to why they put Bethlehem in there, an assumption that was made. But in the, in the academic circles, there's a lot of debate over this. So the Greek text says that the star rested over where the child was. So why is this important? Well, here's why. Luke chapter 2, verse number 39 Mary and Joseph take Jesus for the purification ceremony and sacrifice to the temple in Jerusalem. So he's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, five, six weeks old at this point. He's already been circumcised, and uh, now they're going to offer up purification uh, sacrifice here. And this is really, this is not just for Jesus, it's for Mary too. So they're going to the temple to do that. He meets Anna and Simeon, and they have all kinds of great things to say about Jesus. And, uh, and then Luke says in, in verse number 39, chapter 2, verse 39, they went back home to Nazareth. Okay? They went back home. We know in Matthew that the Magi are not looking for a baby. They're looking for a child. The Greek term for child here references a child who is under the age of uh, I think it's under the age of five. It might be under the age of three. But, 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 but we know that there, that's, what, that's what the Greek term references, okay? There's a different Greek term 
for baby. So when you're, when you're under the age of one, there's a whole different word that we use for that. That's the same word you find when Jesus is born and they put him in a manger and the shepherds come. This is a whole different word in the story of the Magi. It really refers to a toddler almost, okay? So there's a problem with the timeline then if the Magi are coming to Bethlehem because Luke says they go up to Nazareth when this is all done. We're talking Jesus being about five, six weeks old, that they go up to Nazareth. So, so again, what's going on here? Well, the original language says the star rests where the child was, not in Bethlehem. So even though the Old Testament prophecies say Bethlehem, the Magi follow the star. They're not going to follow the prophecies. They're going to follow the star. The star leads them to where uh, Jesus is in Nazareth. It stops over a house and they offer the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the child. Okay, They're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they go back a different route. It's easy to go back a different route if you're in Nazareth because, because you're, you're, you're north. You're not near Jerusalem. If you're in Bethlehem, it's a little bit tougher. Bethlehem is almost a suburb of Jerusalem. It'd be kind of hard to, to, to escape here without him knowing what you were up to. So that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Uh, and so they, they go back a different route. Herod is, is angry. He orders all the kids, all the boys, to and under in Bethlehem to be executed. Joseph is warned in a dream, get out of here, take off, go to Egypt. Uh, if you're a poor family, how could you afford that journey? It's possible that they took the gifts from the Magi to finance the journey to, to Egypt uh, to get there and maybe even to come back. Who knows? There's a lot of speculation with that one. But, but nevertheless, they take off to Egypt and then they come back when Herod is dead. We know Herod dies in 4 BC. So Herod dies in 4 BC um, and they come back. Uh, so what does that tell us? Well, if Jesus is about two years old, Herod issues the order for all kids to and under to be executed. He dies in 4 BC. You can only go further back. Uh, the furthest back you can go is 6, right? And that's how we get 6 to 4 BC as being the years that Jesus was born and probably more likely the 6 BC. I always lean towards the older years, okay? So I tend to lean towards 6 BC, which means that Jesus probably would have died in AD 30, not 33. Um, so I, I, I kind of lean that way. I always lean more conservative in dates and that kind of thing, uh, just to be on the safe side. We don't know things for an absolute fact. This is where we're, we're playing academic guessing here, right? So that's kind of where they were at. So now, why does all this matter? You probably say, okay, wait a minute. I've listened to this. It did kind of mess my Christmas story up a little bit in my manger scene. Uh, why does all that matter? Here's why it matters. All right, I want to leave you with this. It matters because it is really important to be honest and truthful about the story of Jesus, about Scripture, um, uh, uh, about what, what takes place in the Bible, right? Because I think for starters, that makes the story that much more incredible. Think about how God worked through natural means, which is called providence, to bring about all the different events that, that made this happen right? That would have been, um, that would, that would have been pretty amazing. That would have been pretty spectacular, uh, to, to know that God brought all those things. I mean, I just, I, I just, I just think, man, that, 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 that just puts an exclamation mark that God aligned all the different events together to bring this about, which is, which is pretty cool. 
Uh, I think the other reason why it matters, though, too, going back to being honest and truthful, is because so much on Christianity has been embellished, right? Um, there's so much legend over the years that's kind of grown out of Christianity. And we, we see this a lot in like Catholic and Orthodox kind of contexts, but a lot of legend develops. And it's, it's good to be truthful. And it's good to say, no, it's, it may not be as romantic and exciting to know the Christmas story it probably happened this way. And we didn't even talk about how Jesus is probably born in August uh, and not December. That would really rain in your parade, I guess, wouldn't it? Uh, but, but, the, but the reason why that matters is it's just good to know how it probably happened in a much more realistic fashion uh, and to stay truthful in that manner. Because I think when you can stay truthful, even if it's not sexy and romantic and exciting, it, it adds more credibility to you, adds more credibility to the Bible, to you as a Christian, um, to the story of Jesus. And so I think it's important that we know you know, what really happened and what really went down and what the era and the time period was probably like and how the timelines really did probably flesh out as. Now, not all of this is 100%. I'm not going to claim it's all 100%. Um, but we have a pretty good idea. And so, yeah, I, th- I think it's good for us to be honest. So, hey, I hope you learned something new today with the Christmas story. I hope it didn't ruin your, <laughs> your Christmas. But it is good, again, to be honest and truthful uh, with the Christmas story and to have a good set and good idea uh, of what was going on. Uh, shoot us an email, media at radiantchurchsc.com if you got any comments or, or statements that you'd like to uh, or questions even about what we talked about here today. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, you know, give us a five-star rating, man, uh, at whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Help us get the word out too and share this with people who would be interested in listening to it. And again, remember to subscribe. You'll get every message in audio form when you subscribe every single Sunday. And then we'll come out with a new midweek episode probably uh, a month from now in, uh, in January. And so have a Merry Christmas, man. And I hope you guys have an incredible holiday with your friends and family. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.